Welcome to the Deal with Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm John Zook, agronomist for Winfield United. And I'm Joel Whipperfirth, Director of Digital Transformation for Winfield United. Today on the show, we're going to take a step back and give our high-level look at the current market and how it can inform on-farm decisions. So Joel, it's been a tough year for farmers. Commodity markets are in the news daily. And I get a lot of conversation at plots and in the field about how this market environment can impact everyday decision making. What are some of your key tips and recommendations on how to bring this back to the farm gate? Well, I think when you look at this last year that we've had, the trade war continued to rage on. And that was coupled along with prevent plant and planting delays. And then also trying to combat the trade war, we were trying to offset the soybean prices, but you had to plant soybeans in order to get that credit. So I think this year, out of anything, you always hear me talk about this, John, everybody's a good farmer in Excel spreadsheet in January. And the more that you can delay these decisions, the more accurate information you have at that time. Now, when you look at that, there's what is the information that you know that can't be predicted? I don't know that you can predict what is going on with the trade war. But I do know that when you look at tools like weather forecasting, you know, the five to seven day forecast Mm -hmm. is 85% accurate. And certainly the, the longer term forecast has a directional degree of accuracy to it. And so I think those are the pieces is, you know, what are the variables that you can assign a percentage of accuracy to and the ones that are consistent and then add those in with the knowledge at the moment. Yeah. So when I think about how to bring this back to the farm gate, my simple mind goes to, hey, if you don't have the bushels, it maybe doesn't matter. And so no matter what the market is, whether it's high, low, how do we manage around those bushels and how do we make decisions? So one thing that you said that really intrigued me was everybody's that good farmer in January, but the longer that you can delay the decision, the better off you're getting. And so my mind goes right away to nitrogen management, fertility management. If I can make a decision on nitrogen when I see what my crop looks like in season, when I know what kind of stand that I have, when I know what some of the weather patterns are, I can make a way better decision on what kind of fertility and what nitrogen I need to put down to get those bushels than I can in January and February when I say, okay, I need 150 pounds and I'm going to put it all up front. I mean, you might only need 120, but you might have to put it on in the middle of the season given what the weather is. So I think that's a really important thing is not to drag your feet and delay making a decision, but day to day and take those percentages and probabilities and play them in your favor. Yeah. And I think there's a good book that I read this winter called Thinking in Terms of Bets. It's by Annie Duke. And uh, Annie Duke was a poker player. So dive back into the, the World Poker Tour, John, and you see that little percentage at the bottom corner. Of, you know, you can see everybody's hand, right? Yep. And this person's hand is a 37% win, and this person's hand is a 55% win. Well, that's one of the things that Annie Duke talked about in this was, you know, thinking in terms of bets. Now, on some of these bets, like the price of corn, is the price of corn going to go up or down? That's a binary decision. It's yes or no. But what she does is she says, well, pull back a second and try to assign some percentage to what percent odds you think it's going to go up. Because the, the idea that it's 100% is ridiculous. And I think this is one of the places that I've tried to challenge myself in the last six months as I'm faced with tough strategic decisions or how is this thing going to work? And am I sure that this is the right choice? I always go back to, well, 
just a straw poll based on what you know, what percent chance do you think that this has of happening? And so yesterday we were in a strategic conversation and I challenged my counterpart and, and she said, I think it's 15%. And I go, wow, I've, I actually had it pegged at like 20%. But neither of us were so far off. And so we said, okay, so we're working with uncertainty here, but some of the biggest decisions in your life are made when you don't necessarily know all the answers to it. So I think a lot of what you just talked about from a nitrogen use efficiency standpoint, that's a key piece. You want the final output of a you know, 0.7, a 0.8, something below one. But as I'm looking at you know, this year in particular, if I was to pull up, I, I just randomly pulled about 20 samples across the, uh, across the U.S., and uh, from South Dakota all the way to Ohio in the field forecasting tool, we're working with anywhere from minus 14 bushels in a given field. Uh, and that happened to be in northeast Iowa. The, the field forecasting tool is predicting, you know, 14 bushels less than what that field normally gets to in eastern South Dakota plus 66 well, how do you plan for plus or minus, you know, negative 14 of what you got last year to plus 66? How, how do you plan for that? So I think it goes back to setting the foundation layer and managing what is measured. So a lot of the case, I mean, the field forecasting tool, it's, I mean, we all know about the data get put in is, is junk in, junk out. But if you spend some time managing, putting that information in and then measuring it, it's taking a tissue sample in season. It's uh, putting the fertility when and where you need it, doing stand counts, uh, going back and, and staging that and updating the stage. That makes a big difference on, on what that prediction is going to be. So all this can be applied to an operation on the farm to say, Hey, it's 66 bushel difference, but a 66 bushel difference is arguably probably recognizable to your eye driving by the field. So is it something that you haven't even been by the field yet? And now you're using a model that has been uncalibrated to help you make a decision. So again, going back to managing it, and then you can and measure through that. And it kind of works in reverse too. You can't manage if you don't measure. So there's this there's this double-edged sword going that we know we need those two components in order to make the decision, and it's the platform that gets us there. Yeah, so, you know, I think with this, you know, one of the questions is, what if production plans change rapidly based on the tariffs, what the government's willing to subsidize, and, and how all this stuff works out? Uh, and I think there's you need to put your farm into percentages, too, and add some flexibility there. If you put all of your corn ground into, or all of your bean ground into fall ammonia, that locks you in for needing to plant corn on those acres next year. Now, I, I'm, I'm hesitant, you know, all parts of the U.S. use different forms of nitrogen, and, you know, some of them are all fall ammonia, some of them get to be all spring ammonia, which, God bless them, I think that's a crazy situation to be in. But you might think about, okay, there's, you know, if I've got 15 farms, there's five of them that I know are going to be corn next year. And maybe you can slot them in for a base rate plan of nitrogen while leaving some flexibility for a spring application of 28 or, or urea on some of those flex acres. So I think that's, an, that's a way that you can allow yourself, you know, that you don't have to commit to what crop and the yield on that crop all the way back on October 15th when the soil temperatures tend to drop below 50 degrees, that you can actually kind of delay that decision or only put a, a percentage of your acres in. But to go all in, I mean, it's like on the first hand of the poker tour, uh, I just shove my chips to the middle and, you Whatever know. you dealt, you're dealt. Yeah. So uh, the, commit with, the commitment with nitrogen is one thing because 
I mean, going to corn, right? If you got nitrogen there, a little softer commitment is, and then I talk about a lot uh, from an agronomic perspective, is doing yearly fertility. And by fertility, I mean yearly applications of, of phosphorus and potassium, because I think that does offer a true flex. If you're not committing with nitrogen, it offers you a true flex right up to the day that you plant to say, hey, I got fertility on all my acres, right? I got corn, soybean fertility. So technically you could rotate it in any crop the day that you plant it and then figure out how to manage that nitrogen as you go forward in the season if that crop is decided to be corn or, or whatever it might be. So I think other than the other agronomic um, advantages that that provides, it's the flexibility that I think is the most advantageous. And, and of course, this year, 2019, there was a lot of that going on of, hey, we can't get corn planted, let's go beans, or hey, maybe we're going to take advantage of some of this market and we, some places can't get corn planted, so let's plant more corn and go corn on corn. So I think there's a shift in a lot of this, and we saw how it panned out with the prevented plant acres and the total acres of corn planted, but it allowed those flex acres, really allowed that to happen. And, and that's just another way to design that into your fertility or agronomic practices is you have that opportunity and that advantage to do that. Yeah, I think one of the one of the economic areas that uh, that farmers and ag retailers can can work together on is uh, the ratios between the cost of the fertilizer and the price of the crop, and that's one of the places that uh, you know, John, what would you rather buy? Twelve hundred dollar potash at seven dollar corn or four hundred dollar potash at three dollar corn? Probably four hundred dollar potash. <laughs> well, so four hundred dollar potash seems like the better deal, right? We'd, we'd all we'd all like to get to that, but I think actually in some cases that twelve hundred dollar potash may be the better deal based on the price of corn at that time. If you look at the ratios, and that's that's one of the things that you, you don't want to escape. You here is you know uh, three thirty six. You know this is my local corn cash price today. The fertilizer price is lower than it was five years ago, but it's a it's a buy sell relationship. If you're buying fertilizer, are you selling grain? And I, I think that's one of the places that your marketing plan, I think farmers are always uh, very good at, at having a, uh, a weekly, monthly, or, or bi-monthly marketing plan where they're selling a tranche of bushels out there, but the fertilizer markets aren't as fluid. And so making sure that as you buy your fertilizer, you're offsetting your position in the grain market to, to offload some of that risk and, and lock in some profitability. Yep. So I used to work with a grower that was that was really good at that, very far out in the future. Um, but as he was selling corn, it was almost just the next day later. It was, hey, come in. I got. I need to buy some nitrogen. A lot of times, maybe that we didn't have a price or couldn't look up a price, but we locked in something there to say, hey, we need to offset this, balance that out, know about how many acres we're going to get. We can get close, and that allowed him to make step forward and make the next decision about any other acres that he'd rotate, go into buying seed, all those sorts of things, because then. He knew, hey, I need this many seed acres for corn on corn. I need this many seed acres for my bean rotation. All those sorts of things uh, kind of fell into place as we went because we were foresight on on that. And that goes back to that that platform of, you know, if you're not managing it or measuring it, how can you put those two together? You got to be doing both at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, another way I think, you know, flexibility comes in is, you know, looking at herbicide management plans and, and not so much what herbicide I'm going to put on next year, because certainly you can plant the crop and then apply your herbicide. But what you did last year really starts to matter. And one of the things that I've started to see a, a trend here is some of the 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 technologies like uh, Fomosafin or Fomosafin, however you want to pronounce that, what's in something like a Flexstar, I've started to see some farmers uh, put that around the perimeter of their fields mm -hmm. in early July. 
And that is a place that certainly locks you in or out of a particular rotation based on last year's carryover. Now, you, you obviously you know, worked in some areas that have canning crops and a higher sensitivity to rotation, but how do I set myself up for, for flexibility in my herbicide rotation? So I think some of the newer technologies coming down, not to be namely of them, but to be a little bit more specific, maybe maybe extend the max, maybe the enlist, ex- extend technology or the enlist technology will allow us to be a little bit more flexible there and, and maybe use less of those herbicide restriction products later in the season, maybe get those done with earlier and have the ability to rotate around those. But that goes, it's got to be forethought of, of rotation. And I think if you have the mindset of getting around the nutrient management part of it is saying, hey, I'm going to f- try to flex my acres. I don't, I want to wait until last minute to make that decision. I want to have that ability. Then you're going to become thinking about, well, what herbicides can I do and become a lot more aware of that. And I think that kind of comes with the mindset of, of moving forward, of thinking through, okay, this acre. And, and I think it boils down to is that we know there's some acres that just aren't corn on corn acres, right? We just know they need the rotation. But there are some acres where, hey, this acre could do a corn on corn, or, you know, we could see a different rotation here. Let's make sure that we keep those options open. So it might not just be the whole farm and all those practices. It might be designated acres that you know you can you can make work um, based on a change in rotation. In one of our last shows, John, we talked about the True Terra Insights engine and, uh, and, and planning around uh, long-term weather events. And, you know, it seems that the market movements all make us make short-term decisions, but there's some, there's some long-term things. And actually, one of the things that uh, Jason Weller with True Terra Insights Engine did with me before the show was we actually walked through a crop budget calculator. And we walked through the crop budget calculator on one, one of my particular farms, and we did a comparison looking at the spatial areas of the field that were most profitable and least profitable. And there was some really eye-opening things for me uh, on what my continuous path for my ability to improve uh, soil runoff uh, or at least reduce the soil runoff, improve uh, my nitrogen leaching score or at least reduce nitrogen leaching. uh, That had a lot to do with the the profitability per acre uh, in a subfield level. Have you you worked with producers on a a subfield level for profitability? Yeah, so... There's so many items that we're collecting, and, and we're going to be doing an episode on data and data privacy, so I don't want to throw us off. But there are so many things that we collect on a sub-field level that if we can get good at putting them into a dollar amount and so knowing, hey, this part of the field is making us money or this part isn't. And this is this is the ultimate goal of precision agriculture as we know it, right? Whether it's a, a model, whether it's a sample and transcending it over across yield, whether it's a hybrid selection or placing or positioning, all those things that are collected across that acre can be put on to say, hey, are we seeing a ROI, return on investment on that decision? And I think that's what makes us smarter for the next year to help to make, to drive the decision to say, hey, let's wait until we possibly, last minute possibly can to make our decisions. But then it also tells us, hey, maybe buying fertilizer last minute isn't the smartest thing to do either. So, so you can't, just because they say wait last minute, you still have to have somewhat of a plan or a strategy. So, so that goes back to saying, hey, if you're going to buy, you maybe need to sell, right? You need to be doing that all along, but it allows you to make the decisions across the acres of where you might position and place things and have that plan put in place. Yeah. What a great place to partner with your retailer, use ag technology to help you make decisions on those farms. I, I think, you know, we, we've continually talked about, uh, 
you know, technology will not replace sellers, technology will not replace farmers, but farmers and sellers who use technology will replace the ones that don't. And I think, you know, volatility offers immense opportunities. You just got to be prepared to capture that. Mm-hmm. So, so I always challenge growers. I mean, there's some growers that have been using precision ag in my area for 15, 20 plus years, you know, ever since it came out and they go, well, what more is new here? What more can I do? And the opportunities are limitless on what you can do to put into it to help make a decision. A lot of times we don't want to go to that financial profitability per acre because it might be a little scary to see actually where that profitability is. But I think in some cases, coughing up maybe land rent and production costs, whether it's CPP, price per gallon, per jug, all those sorts of things and putting across the acre is going to be the next step. That gets a little hairy with the amount of information that you need to share, maybe with a trusted advisor, that sort of thing, or that you have to come up with and help organize it. But I think once you see that, then you become ultimately flexible. And the only thing that can do that to help manage through that is, is a precision egg program. You know, John, is there anything else you, you'd add to you know, how we handle today's market and, and inform tomorrow's decisions? Yeah, you know, so I've never been super political and sometimes it's hard for me to follow the the market and the trade war and actually make sense out of it and try to predict what's going to happen. But what I do know, and, and I've said this already to, to this point, is kind of he who has the most bushels is going to be the one that wins. And whether or not it's the most bushels of how you got there, I think that becomes into the the. the earlier part of the podcast where we're talking, hey, here's what you can do to get there. But if you don't have the bushels or you don't have the grain to sell, there's no chance of taking advantage of any of those markets. So so I think, think about that, think about your operation in those terms, and then that'll help you focus on, well, how do I get the most bushels with maybe the least amount of input or the most optimum inputs that I can put in to, get, to capitalize on that? So there's no chance of us seeing you as the Secretary of Agriculture nomination in the future, John? Uh, I guess I haven't considered that, and and yeah, probably not to that level. That's a little out of my league there, Joel. (laughs) Okay. You've been listening to the Deal With Yield podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate us and review us online or on your podcast app. And for more episodes, find us at iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and thedealwithyield.com.